Psalm of David. <clears throat> Hear me quickly, O Lord. My spirit has failed. Do not turn your face from me. supplication in your truth. So I went away and washed, and 
I receive sight. Then they asked him, where is he? The man replied, I do not know. They brought the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. It was a Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Again, the Pharisees also asked the man how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. And this some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was division among them. Therefore they asked the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Then Jews did not believe the report about this man, that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents on this man, who had received his sight. They asked the parents, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone would confess Jesus as Christ, this person would be expelled from the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And so they called the man who had been blind a second time, and they told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And this man, the man answered, I do not know if he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Again they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Then they insulted him and said, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered them, How amazing! You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Since the world began, it has never been heard of that anyone opened the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born completely in sin, and do you teach us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? The man answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, I am come into the world for judgment, that those who do not see may see, and so that those who see may become blind. The Pharisees who were present heard these things, and they asked Jesus, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, and therefore your sin remains. Glory be to God forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, Amen. Um, today's gospel um, is um, one of my favorite uh, gospels and one of my favorite characters um, of the Bible, actually. This is the story of the man born blind. And here's a man who's completely different from the other two. So if we can, um, let's go through um, his story uh, and meditate together. So we're told in the gospel today, as he passed by being our Lord, he saw a man blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And our Lord answered and said, actually, um, it's none of them. Um, this is actually going to become a source of glory um, for, for God. Now, this man is different from the other two because here's a man who, um, it's not his fault, right? Actually, like, it's actually not his fault in this case. So the prodigal son, um, he was the cause of his own problem. Forgive me. 
Um, he didn't care about people. He cared about himself. Um, and so he made the decision to move out. That was his doing. That was, that was his own fault. Um, you got the Samaritan woman who lived in a wrong way, not just by Jewish standards, but by Samaritan standards. Um, and, and she gave herself over to a life, a sensual life of living according to the senses, right? Um, and self-gratification. So even though people weren't nice to her, on some level, she was responsible um, for her predicament. Um, the man by the pool, um, he was the cause of the situation. We're not sure exactly how, but our Lord said so himself. He said, don't, don't keep sinning lest a worse thing um, happen to you. But here we have a man who didn't do anything to get himself blind. Right? This is a man who from his birth was born blind. He was born that way. So his whole life, his whole existence has been darkness. Um, and it's such a sad state that people don't know how to make sense of it. Right? They don't know how to make sense of it, so they start speaking on behalf of God. So they say, okay, either he really did do something, right? like how they spoke to Job, or um, his parents did something. But it's the only way that they're able to make sense of it. And that, this just shows how quick we can be when we assume that things are God's will. Um, uh, when, it, when we assume that, um, um, that we know what God is saying, right? So everyone in these situations jumps in to finger blaming and finger pointing and everyone wants to make some comment about it. Um, again, I think people are trying to make sense of it. They can't think of any other reason why this kid was messed up. Um, but they've only worked with two theories, right? Either the parents or the kid. This is where their mind goes. This is, this is the logic that they're able to make, make out of it. So let's step back for a minute and meditate on this. One is don't be quick to judge situations, right? No matter how obvious you think it looks it's not your job or mine to assess if by your judgment you might have thought actually that the guy by the pool was innocent um, and that the man born blind wasn't right if you were to use human logic we looked at the man by the pool and like, poor guy 38 years nobody's putting him in the pool what a victim that poor guy sucks to be him everyone's mean to the man by the pool and we look at this person and say, ah, this guy must have had some kind of sin, um, etc. When really we were wrong on both judgments and our judgment on top of that was irrelevant. It was irrelevant because Christ healed both, right? God didn't re restrain his healing based on the measure of guilt. Right? So my point is we, we, we judge when we shouldn't, we judge wrongly, and our judgment is relevant to add insult to injury. Right? That's all of it going on at the same time. Second is, look at how God used this person's place of darkness um, as part of his experience of light. I think this one's a really relevant one for, for a lot of us. Because um, sometimes we're very resentful of our time in darkness 
and we don't appreciate that it becomes part of our story. Um, it becomes part of our own narrative with God. It's part of our romance with God. Um, this is huge because I think most of you probably can think of times in your life where you felt like everything was just dark. You can see clearly, you felt completely on your own because this man is on his own, right? He's not with his parents, he's on the street, right? So you feel completely on your own, you feel completely abandoned, maybe even by your own family, right? Even by the church, right? Because here's this man who is cast, who can't really attend church in any functional way. And it's not like the temple, which was the church, the people of God, the assembly, the assembly means the church, the ecclesia, where it's not like they had him living inside the temple quarters, right? It's not like they were feeding him. It's not like there was some kind of duty. We see from the way he deals with them that clearly they don't have a good relationship. But the man hasn't been doing anything wrong, it seems, in his blindness. He's actually innocent. He's actually blameless. When your darkness is not a product of your mistakes, then you can have a lot more confidence that God is going to use this if you live in relationship to him. And by that, I don't mean that if you were to blame God, how somehow isn't going to help you. What I mean is that if you're the cause of your blame, your, your cause of your predicament, you need to do what it takes to, to fix it, right? If you're isolated socially because you're mean to people, your darkness isn't something that's going to get fixed when you feel alone if you don't stop treating people badly because you're actually in the wrong, is what I'm trying to say. But if people just don't like you because they just don't like you, and it's not because something you did, um, God can use this as part of the romance, right? Because this is where he's saying, well, turn to me, right? I, I still love you, right? Um, I won't dwell there. But what I want to get at is so many of us have found those places of darkness. So many of us can think back to those places where um, we wonder if even God is listening to us and wondering what the meaning is um, of anything that we're doing. Third is, notice how the man born blind in this, these verses so far, and even what we're going to see in our Lord's response, is that God, is that this man hasn't said a single thing. He hasn't complained. He hasn't said, woe is me. He hasn't said, um, I would really like a miracle. He didn't say, somebody pull that guy over. I heard he does miracles. He didn't cry, have mercy. None of which, by the way, would necessarily be wrong, but he didn't. He, he didn't mumble. He didn't complain. He didn't whine. He didn't say a word. Instead, he did something way more humble than I think any of most of us do. 
he put himself in the place of seeking mercy. He literally took his vulnerability to the streets and sat there. He was abandoned by kin, by others, and he hasn't said a word. He literally just puts himself out there, offering his vulnerability and his need to others. His need to others and taking on the humility of receiving. Most of us try and master our weakness by trying to take charge of it, right? Most of us will try and take our, our weakness um, and go out to the street and pretend we don't have weakness, right? By showing that we have the whole situation under control. I got this. When I'm in this mood, I just do this. When I'm in this predicament, I just do this. I will only do this when I'm in this thing because I don't want anybody to own me. I don't want anyone to have jurisdiction over me. I don't want anyone to have a say over me. We're actually trying to solve our brokenness on some level with arrogance. On some level, we're trying to fix it by us thinking that we have the solution or we have the remedy, or at the very least that we won't allow anyone else to be part of that. This man takes it and says, let me give myself to God, right? Let me give myself to the people. I'm dependent on them for food. I'm dependent on them for sustenance, for money. I'm dependent on them to lead me where I need to go. He gives himself up in the humility of, of receiving. This is, this is a whole other level of humility. Um, I know I certainly don't have. Um, God looks so compassionately on those who silently bear their afflictions, those who silently um, bear their, tri their, their tribulations. They learn so much more. They see God more clearly right? God does, he does reveal himself to those who cry out to him. It's not like he withheld himself from those who cried out. Um, but there's a, a different kind of solidarity that you have with God when you suffer silently. And I, I think it's because that's what our Lord did, right? He suffered silently. So, Verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night, is com when night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am is the light of the world. This is an I am statement of him stating himself to be God. As he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the man's eyes with the clay and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back um, seeing it. Um, so, our Lord is saying the Father is always working because there's attention drawn to um, that this is the Sabbath. We find out later. So he's making a point of this is God's work. Right? This is, this is God's work. God's work is irrespective of the Sabbath. It doesn't matter what day of, of the week it is. So don't um, don't try and 
um, and fault me on, on, on this one. Um, it was also a bit of a corrective because those who thought he was the Messiah, some of them were under the impression that the Messiah, when he came, um, was going to live, was going to stay forever. And he's saying, actually, no, I am, is in the world temporarily. And while he's in the world, he's going to illuminate. And, and this thing of light, we're going to come back to. Um, and then he did something else. He not only made a God statement of saying, I am, is the light of the world. He revealed himself as God by doing an act of actual creation. Just as God in the narrative of creation took the dust of the earth and fashioned from it man, Christ by whom God created the world, as on his own authority takes the clay, he takes the dirt from it, spits in it, makes clay, and gives it eyes. Right? He gives eyes to the man. Um, he has done an act of creation that, as has get said, um, this has never happened before, right? And look at the level to which God lowers himself and elevates others, right? We've seen it with all the stories so far. So right now he has no concern for his dignity and is ready to reveal himself to the lowest of society when they have a disposition of any kind that's willing to work with him, right? God is saying, here's some guy on the street, literally just some guy, right? Imagine if the government were to say, I want to I wanna show the people what I have in mind for my policy on X. Does he go out to the street, whoever is in charge, to some guy not really educated, doesn't even know anything about policy, and say, can I talk to you about the policies I have in mind? Right? Whereas Christ is saying, I'll tell people the truth, whoever they are, if they want it. Right? So here's this man who's in a disposition of wanting to hear, and God gives himself to him fully and reveals himself so simply, right? So simply, by, by, by simply saying, yeah, it's me. Um, and here's what I'm going to do. And, and keep in mind, the man still hasn't spoken, right? And where does Christ send him? He sends him to the pool called Siloam, which means sent. Disciple, apostolos, they're all derivatives of the Greek of stelo, to send. And so our Lord has sent him to the waters of scent. He is sent. It's an apostolic water, right? He is sent to the apostolic wells to be baptized for his seeing to be complete. So Christ says, I gave you the gift of physical sight. That's what you wanted. You wanted sensual sight. I know you want that. You can have it. But it's not going to be what actually gives you real sight. It's not going to give you true sight. It's not going to bring you real joy. What you need is the spiritual eyes. And so he sends him to the apostolic waters for his seeing to be perfected, um, which we will, we will see how that shows itself very soon.
So his conversion began by the work of God and is perfected in the waters of baptism in order to have participation in him, right? This is not that different from the Samaritan woman. It's not different from a lot of other stories. It's not a lot different from a lot of stories of people you might know who came to love God on some level, right? Because of um, the the work of God in their lives or the work of their God in their lives through someone else, right? And that once they were able to see that, then they drew closer to God. But their initial drawing near was because of some action. So let's move on with the story. Um, so the neighbors, so he went and washed and came back seeing. Neighbors and those who had seen him before, as the beggar said, isn't the man who used to sit and beg. So the neighbors have questions about this, right? And we're going to we'll zoom through this from a bird's eye zoom. zoom. Um, they're like, Are, is he the guy? This can't be the guy. And it's so funny that they're having this issue because so many of, of us today, right? So many of us secularly, when there's a miracle, we demand all sorts of proof. And if we don't find the proof, we dismiss it like it was stupid. Okay, like it was completely impossible. And secular society, atheistically, also does the same thing, right? Of saying, yeah, 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 whatever, it's probably not even true. Probably someone made it up. Probably it was just an emotional thing. Probably it was their psychology. And, and, and we have all these reasons to make up why it could not have been true. Here's a guy in front of them, whom it happened, where they saw it with their own eyes and they're still doubting. They're getting the very proof that they usually demand, that we usually demand, and they are still questioning. They are still saying, I doubt it. Instead of it being, it's, it, I mean, it should have been harder for them to believe that it isn't the guy who they've known his whole life, whose parents they know, it should have been easier. It should have been easier for them to doubt the, like, that it was easier for them to doubt that than the miracle is messed up. Where they're like, no, it couldn't have been the miracle. This must be a fraud. This must not be the real guy. How'd you figure? Right? Imagine if you grew up with someone, you know that the person has some disease. They're suddenly healed and said, oh my goodness, someone actually kidnapped my brother and put a fake one in his place that they designed to look like him, talk like him, seem like him, smell like him, dress like him, behave like him, but just not be him. That, that's where your logic goes, right? That I would rather believe that this is some alien fake brother of mine than that an actual miracle occurred, while all the time claiming to be objective. That's why I love this man, because this man, as we're going to see, is the most objective of everyone right because then the they bring him to the pharisees they bring the Pharisees and say check it out this is the guy and the pharisees are not concerned that there's a miracle the pharisees are like oh, he did it on saturday right they have this anger yet again right so we have this oh my goodness it's saturday thing and the pharisees um quiz the guy and say are you the guy and he goes i'm the guy and pay attention to his words because he never speaks more than objective truth. 
He doesn't go into a whole story. He doesn't say, let me prove it. He doesn't say, let me tell you a long narrative. He doesn't say, let me anything. He just says, yep, it's me, period. It's me. And then they say, well, what do you think of him? And it's clear that they don't really care. They want him to agree with them, just like you, just like me. They're not asking because they want his real answer. They want him to say, we agree with whatever it is you're about to say about the guy because they think they can see we have power, you should fear us. But the man says, what do I think? Well, since you're asking, I think he's a prophet. Where else, objectively, have we seen people do stuff like that? He's got to be a prophet. So I'm going to go with prophet. Um, so they look at him and they get mad at his answer. Well, if you didn't want his genuine answer, why ask? But you're angry at his answer. Do you do that? Do you go ever to your parents, your friends, your father, confession, someone, right? And ask a question only to then get mad at their answer? Then you weren't being objective and you weren't looking for truth and you weren't even looking for advice. You were looking for the echo chamber, right? So then they yell at him and they say, he's a sinner. Um, and so they, they, they initially, they're like, you know what? We still, we still don't believe it, right? So now even the church is saying, we can't believe this guy. And it's a true miracle, right? It's a true miracle. And the church of God is saying, we don't believe it. And so they go and summon the parents and now they're flexing, right? Now they're bringing out their muscle and saying, you know what we can do. We can excommunicate you. So we're going to ask you, is this your kid? Was he blind? And they're, 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 there's a veiled threat, right? And the parents look at it and they say, listen, we know it's our son. How he sees, why he sees, anything with the guy who made him see, we have no statement at the present time right? And he is of age, ask him. He can, he can answer for himself. Don't ask us, right? They've completely disowned him, right? They're not even rejoicing. Look at how alone he is. They're not even rejoicing that their son has been healed and speaking the truth. They're, they're, they're throwing him out to, like, to, to, the, to the dogs, right? And so that the Jews are full forced to confront that it really is the guy. They, they, there's not much else they can say, right? If they're going to go to trial, they can't prosecute. And this is so us as well, both the parents and the Jews. We prosecute anybody who doesn't think like us, first of all. This is what's going on Facebook, Twitter, everything, right? And then we also come and browbeat whoever disagrees with us, right? And, and we're not looking for, for truth, Right, and so this this sometimes is what we're doing, and it's also sometimes what's happening to us both. Right, so then they bring the guy back, and they just they let him have it. Who do you think you are? Right, praise God. Right, this was a known expression to them. Right, in the Jewish world, they're saying no, give the thanks to God. Right, not this guy. God did this. Renounce him is essentially what they're saying. Retract your praise to this guy. We're going to ask you one more time, who, who are you and who is this guy? And the guy's like, really? Really? Are you asking me because you want to believe in him now? Is that what you want? 
because I doubt it. But if you are, cool, right? Is that who you want to be disciples of? Um, or are you asking me because you just don't like him, right? He doesn't, he doesn't even need to say all of that because the Jews understand it because it is what's going on, right? All he had to say was, I've already told you. If I ask you again, if you answer you again, is that going to change it? If I go through the statement of facts again, are you going to become his disciples? And they say, no, we are Moses' disciples, right? We are the disciples of him. We don't care what you say. This man is a sinner. This is also so us. And it's also something that happens a lot to us clergy. I'm going to be very honest. Where we forget that Moses is not the God of Moses. He is the prophet of God. God is God. Moses is Moses. And so we sometimes divinize objects and, and things that are holy and important, but we give them the wrong worship. We give them the wrong spirit. We give them the wrong meaning. And so we forget about the God who ordained those things for us, right? And so the man, this man has the eyes of truth, is able to look at them and say, well, this is, this is really quite an, an amazing scenario. You don't know where he comes from, which if you read one chapter, actually one to two chapters back, because this whole miracle is taking place in the context of the Feast of the Tabernacles, John chapter 7 through 10. And in these chapters, at one point, they looked at Christ and said, we know where you come from. We know you're the son of Joseph. And we know what city you come from. And so this man's saying, wow, this is really funny. You don't know where he comes from. You're saying you don't know where he comes from, even though originally you said you did. Okay. Now you're saying you don't know where he comes from. And yet, he has done something that nobody, literally nobody in the history of the world to this day has ever done. He gave me eyes. If he's a sinner, like you say, well, let's deal with the facts. I'm saying he's objective. Let's deal with the facts. God doesn't listen to sinners, apparently. So why would God listen to him? Because if it's a sinner, which means he's of the devil, are you saying that the devil has more power than any of the prophets in all of history and therefore is mightier than God? What exactly are you saying? He brings the light and points it at truth. And what does truth do to people who don't like it? It makes them angry. You have to ask, whenever you hear something true, do you get angry? Because if you're getting angry, you are not somebody interested in the truth. Right? And so what do they do? They respond with anger and violence. And what do they say? They say, get out of the temple. They excommunicate him. A man who has probably been dying to go to the temple, maybe, because that's what everybody did, most of their lives, for his whole life, hasn't been able to participate 
This is the first time where he's finally going to be participating and now he has been excommunicated officially by the church. This is an objective man. He's not an exaggerator. He says what he can say, what he can deduce. And I really wonder if this is because he has been a listener rather than a speaker. Someone who views him or herself as a source of truth tends to become a really bad listener. These people tend to be looking for echo chambers to broadcast their personal views as loudly as they can. And because of how loudly they project themselves, they become deaf. They become deaf to everything else. And because they are speaking so loudly and not hearing everyone else, they see it as a sign of victory because we have silenced the opposition. This man is a listener. And that is what makes him able to be much more objective, right? I wonder, because for him, he wasn't tied by prestige, right? He wasn't tied by prestige. He wasn't tied by um, position. He wasn't treated in any way positively by the temple growing up. So he's not worried about what he might lose out on like his parents were, or maybe his, his, his neighbors. Um, it seems like the temple never showed him any kind of care. Um, and so he felt no need to be faithful, even to the temple, even to the building, right? Some of us are, are loyal to the building of the church. Not necessarily to God, but to the building. And he's like, and he had none of that. Our neglect can make people not care. I was at a funeral once of a youth who passed away. And one person went up to speak, a youth. And I was blown away by his candidness, um, his lack of fear, and the truth he projected, and what seemed to me a position of hurt, that he had become a victim of the temple. And all of us tend to have this position sometimes of, let the sinners in, we love them right we don't care what you've done just embrace the lord jesus because jesus says that jesus actually says that we say that but when they come in we treat them like garbage that's the one who slept around that's the one who did drugs that's the one who messed up that's the one who went jail. That's the one caught shoplifting. I want him or her nowhere near my family. Those people see the truth because they get isolated. They get thrown to the side. This is what's happened to this man. And so his neglect has given him something that others don't have. 
It's what St. Cyril calls the insight of faith. This man, as St. Cyril said, who had been received sight, has miraculously been freed from his old blindness and consequently was quicker to be able to perceive truth than those who had been instructed by the law. He says, see how through numerous and wise arguments he demonstrates the utter inferiority of the Pharisees' opinion. Right? I'm not saying everybody who's, who's being hurt suddenly becomes the bearer of all truth, saying they have the ability to see the truth more. Because some people, including ourselves, when we're hurt, start to see ourselves as truth bearers and prophets when actually we're sometimes just speaking through hurt. The beauty of this man is he's neither resorting to speaking from hurt, right, nor um, from his own sense of truth, but from objectivity, from absolute truth through the Lord himself. So the Pharisees are going nuts. They're angry at the truth. They defend their own dignity. They make their opinion law. How? If you don't agree with our assessment of this man, you can't come here. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Do you only discuss with people who agree with you? When people disagree with you, do you think you're so righteous when you've heard them out, when actually mentally you've dismissed them and said, they just don't get it yet. God willing, when they're more enlightened, like me, they will know that I'm right, and then we can have this discussion. Are you doing that on some level? They miss the point of faith. Not only do they miss the point of faith, who do they put on trial? God. They put God on trial. How could he do this? He must be mistaken, but they're so blind by their egos that they don't even know they're putting God on trial. That's so us, right? That's so us where we will rip apart something, right? Sometimes I'm asked to give an opinion on an individual because of a miracle. What do you think of so-and-so's exorcism? Is it real or is it fake? And this is what the Pharisees are doing right now. People are saying, is he real? Is he fake? Right? And I look at some of the scenarios of our Lord, for example, when he's cast out devils. And they claim that the authority by which he cast out devils was demonic. That claim, that accusation is what drew the most violent response from God. Where he said, listen, I can understand that in looking at me, you don't see God. You see a Galilean, you see a Nazarene, you see a man with an accent, you see a human being that you think is the son of Joseph. So what you say against the son of man, I can forgive that. That's forgivable for you. He's speaking to the leaders. But you leaders, you're saying that these people that are possessed that it is a demonic work that God is liberating them from possession. 
you're saying the spiritual, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God himself is demonic? Don't forgive that. There's no forgiveness for you for that. That's unforgivable to you as, as leaders. How dare you leaders say that? And so a better answer sometimes is to say, I don't know. I don't know. Lest I attribute something that God might have done to the devil. And woe to me if I blaspheme God. Right? This is what they're doing. They're putting God on trial and finding him guilty. Right? And that's why by the end of this, of this reading, God's like, you're guilty. You're guilty. Right? They put God on trial. They intimidate those who disagree. They're bullying. They're trolling. Right? This is your Facebook posting. You're, you're, you're commenting on everyone's wall that you think is, is so unenlightened. You're truth beating that when somebody makes some comment that you happen to not like, right? That you go and need to tell them why they're so wrong and you're so right, right? Where you collect your friends and you think it's cool to sit around and laugh at each other. What do you think of the latest video of so-and-so? What do you think of the latest stream that so-and-so did? Wasn't that ridiculous, huh? Look what he said. Yeah, and I quote, and then you pull it out and you rip it apart, right? You find those things that we, we troll each other all the time. And maybe you don't troll on Facebook, but you do it with your friends and be like, yeah, 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 I, I saw it. <laughs> no need to say anything. We do it, right? We do it. We, we are these Pharisees. Um, and we reject truth, right? They didn't even, these Pharisees didn't believe at all until the parents spoke. They would rather disbelieve their own eyes, even though most people say that if they saw it, they would believe it. And my point of repeating that is to say, you are going to believe what you want to believe. Unless you're in a disposition of seeking the truth. If you're not, this is what the man did. He was in a position of disposition. If you don't want truth, on some level, somewhere, it doesn't matter what people say to you, you're not going to believe. Um, the man wanted truth. The man born blind wanted truth. When he suffered for truth, right? Our Lord said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Okay? Because the man wanted truth, the truth went to him. When this man suffered for truth, truth went himself to him. The man had started the story in a position of asking for mercy without words. And he chanced, chanced by mercy. Mercy walked by him. And mercy 
didn't ignore him. And so mercy opened his eyes and mercy gave him eyes and mercy baptized him in truth. And the man came back seeing, actually seeing. The scales were gone, right? And because the scales were gone, he had eyes. And then because he had eyes for truth, he felt compelled only to see truth and speak truth, and he did. And for that, he suffered. And what happens here? Here, the man was free to choose, right? Here, the man had been liberated, and God walked away and said, it's up to you now. I gave it to you. What do you choose? Do you want to follow truth or, or abandon? That's up to you. This, my healing of you wasn't a bribe. It wasn't, there's no payment. I'm not saying if you want to be mine, that you have to pay me back. I'm saying I gave you truth. It's up to you how to use it. And the man chose truth. And when he chose it, darkness hated him because I saw light, right? Light was turned on. Now he could see. And so he couldn't accept the darkness that was around him. And so he chose truth. He chose light. And truth doesn't abandon her children. So now truth actively goes and seeks the man born blind because of his suffering and goes to him himself. He gave the man inside an accent. He goes to the man and says to him, do you believe? Right? This is the question of the Gospel of John always. Right? Um, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? He identifies himself again. And the man is objective even here. Even here. I'm sure, fairly sure, on a human level, he knew that Christ was asking this because he was referring to himself. But even then, he says, maybe I've misunderstood the question. Even there, the man is objective and says, who is he? Who is he? And I will believe him if he is objectively, actually, the son of God. Then I must believe him. Who is he? He didn't use his hurt this is our warning to us, to reject truth, right? He didn't say, no, I'm so hurt by God. I'm so hurt by the church. I'm so hurt by the parents. I'm so hurt by you, Jesus, because when you healed me, you walked away, and then people were mean to me. No. He says, who is he? Who is he? If he's the truth, I'll believe him. And because he asked that question, Christ said, seek, you'll find, ask, it will be given. I'll tell you, you asked, you're seeking. Actually, here you are, and I'm, I'm right coming up to you, and I will answer your question. I will answer what you're asking. I will give you the thing you're seeking. It is me. It's I am. I am. It's me. And this man with the simplicity of truth, because of how simple the truth is, says, Lord, 
I believe, and he worships, right? And this is why Christ says, and this, this is the judgment. This is the moment of truth. For judgment, I'm coming to the world. What he's saying is not, um, um, I'm here to tell you how bad you are. He's saying, my mere presence is a judgment. It's not the formal judgment of the end that he speaks about later. He's saying, why? Because truth shows what's a lie. Light exposes darkness, because he said, so long as I'm in the world, I'm the light in the world. So my light is showing that this is dark, because look at this. This guy was able to see so clearly, this guy, and yet everyone else is not seeing. They're all blind. They, they don't see it. And the Pharisees hear this and they know it's about them. And they're so angry, right? They, they hate truth. And they say, ah, so are, are, we, uh, are we also blind? Are, are, we, are we blind ones here? Is that what you mean? Like, we're not stupid, we get it. We know what you're trying to say. And our Lord's answer to them can be read in modern English in a different way. He's saying, if you were like this blind man, the one that, that you called a sinner. If you were like him, if you were blind like him, the, the way that you think he's blind, you wouldn't be guilty. You wouldn't be guilty. But you're not like him. You think you see. You think you're sinless. And you think you get it. And you don't. And so you remain you remain in your disposition. Um, this is what Christ is saying through him, right? Throughout this story, the man born blind has become less and less and less blind. And yet the Pharisees, um, um, yet the Pharisees have become more and more and more blind. And so what we need to challenge ourselves, myself included, is do we seek the truth? Do we live in truth? Are we baptized in truth? Are we living by the physical eyes? Because the physical eyes led to, led to this man's expulsion from the temple. The spiritual eyes led him to his entry into the kingdom and to behold God himself. To him be glory, majesty, and might forever. Amen. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.